the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. I'm really excited for this episode because we're going to talk about a few different things. We've got politics updates because it's almost the midterms. We've got a cool cultural update. I saw this random video online and it sent me into a tizzy. And we've got some Nancy Pelosi updates. We gotta love her. We do want to say to people, come to Chinatown. Here we are. Don't be racist. Go to Chinatown. We do want to say to people, come to Chinatown. Here we are. Also, if you are only listening to this show for the first time, that's Nancy Pelosi in the first week of COVID breaking out where they all went to Chinatowns across the country and insisted that if you were concerned about what we were hearing about a potential coronavirus thing spreading around the country, uh, you're probably racist. And if you say that it's from communist China, you're super racist and you hate American Chinese people. But for the most part, the people that immigrated from China were all victims of communism that are fleeing for a more free life in the United States. Needless to say, the Speaker of the House is so intelligent and so wise that she decided in the beginning of the breakout of a pandemic to ignore any concern, call her political opponents racist, and then go to downtown Chinatown during the festivals. We do want to say to people, come to Chinatown. Here we are. It's just the ability to put all of the pieces together over the last few years and to feel so right and to know that they were so wrong. It, it feels kind of good, but it's also very, very sad because look at where it put us in the grand scheme of things. You guys, if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe, hit the subscribe button and leave a little worded review. I would really appreciate it. Um, let's get on into the episode. Okay, before we get into the topics, gotta remind you guys, if you want to know what the left's real plan is for your kids, just look at the reaction to the work Patriot Mobile did in multiple school districts in Texas. The left is losing their minds. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative mobile phone provider and a force for conservative values. This is because they take a portion of your bill and fund conservative causes and candidates who believe in the sanctity of life, freedom of speech, and the Second Amendment, and they are winning when they do it. Patriot Mobile has affordable plans for you, your family, even your business. They offer the same nationwide coverage as the major carriers because they use multiple major networks. Plus, you're supporting conservative values with every call. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Morgan or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation with offer code Morgan. Special discounts are also available for veterans and first responders. Join our movement. Make the switch today and a difference tomorrow. That's patriotmobile.com slash Morgan. Patriotmobile.com slash Morgan or call 972-PATRIOT. All right, so we're going to start with a great Gen Z video. We've got... Look at this girl interviewing other girls on a college campus in Gen Z about what they expect a man to earn before they marry them. It's um, highly disappointing. Ladies, come on. I should make per year. Um, depends where they live. I mean, if I'm like dating them, it'd be nice if they were at least making 100000 Um, I have no clue. Like a million, two million? Hey, we're at ASU, you know, so you're not going to find him here. <laughs> like, 
fully like adult. Someone that you would consider wanting to be with the rest of your life. 300K. Three figures. Okay. So why is that? Just because like that's a stable income, I'd say. 100, like 500 grand. Is that a lot? Ah, okay. I'm just going to interrupt here quick. One of the first concerning things to me is that they really don't seem to have a grasp on finances at all. And so they don't even know what is a lot versus what isn't a lot. Um, again, ladies, come on. No, that's uh, 500 is like normal. On a good day, yeah. I mean, it depends. Okay. Uh, a lot were expensive. Yeah. Mills. Millions. Oh, Mills, shit. Okay. I don't really care. I think, I mean, I like when guys like pay for dates and stuff. So if a guy made 30K a year, is that something you're okay with? Yeah, that, I think that would be great. Like your husband? Oh, shit. <laughs> husband. Yeah, I think I would be fine. If it was my husband, I'd be in love with him. So yeah. I wouldn't really say I would have a price on that. I mean, as long as I treat me respectfully. Minimum. Okay, okay, those girls had it going on. Six figures, no matter what the situation is. We have an expensive lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I totally understand. We got to get good skincare routine, you know, the whole whole nine yards. 100,000. 120K. 80K and like maybe like 120. Okay. Yeah, I would say like 80 to 150. Over 100K. Once you get to a certain age, like, I don't know. I'm also kind of like a gold digger, so. No, um, I'm planning on just like supporting myself. Um, with my income, so I don't really plan on being supported by the person that I'm dating. What is the lowest you would go, though? Um, 500000 I could have, a, like, a, a nice, like, settled life with, like, a 200000 a year. Like, okay. Normal, great, yeah. What's the lowest, though, that you would go for? Um, I don't think money is stopping you. Uh, maybe, like, a... Uh, it has to be. You just I said know, one or two mil. Would you be down for 80? Yeah, 80, 60. I'd be fine. Okay, okay I, I have so many different things here. One of the first things off the top of my head was the fact that I didn't really think about this question, especially when I was in college. Maybe I've been doing it wrong. Perhaps I should have been saying to myself that I need a guy to earn a million dollars before I'll go on a date with him. I didn't realize that that's what was going on in girls' heads. But seeing it play out in this video with dozens of girls getting asked is quite disappointing. Um, my problem with it is this seems like a very shallow desire for them. And most importantly, their desire for their man to earn money is all to what? pay for their expensive lifestyles. What has happened to our generation? I get it. I sound like a grandma on this stuff, but we have a serious culture problem. And I think this is all perpetuated by the narratives that are pushed onto us. The fact that we are forgetting that we have to also maintain a healthy and wholesome society on top of taking care of ourselves and having these worldly desires that we're all obsessed with now but we've become obsessed with status and with things, and we have forgotten to look at other important factors. So it's kind of crazy to me that these girls are able to answer the question so quickly that their guy has to earn six figures or seven figures to begin dating them, and they're in college with this kind of mindset. Again, maybe I'm just a loser, but I just never really thought about this kind of stuff. Jeez, I'm pretty taken aback by it. Now, the first thing is that people talk a lot about culture being the leading figure, and then politics is downstream from culture. And it can impact politics when the culture is negative or when it's evil and rotten. But I would argue that culture, 
yes, is important and politics is downstream from culture, but I would also say that politics is downstream from how we raise humans, how we raise and educate young people, especially young people in America, because we're a constitutional republic where we're supposed to elect our leaders and we, the people, are supposed to be in charge of the government. So when you improperly raise the younger generations, and by that I mean not properly teaching them history, not properly teaching them life skills when they're young and developing, not as family members raising up the children to be responsible contributing members of the family and responsible citizens, and then the school systems are also failing to teach them basics in education, and then they're graduating and going out as, to be honest, fully indoctrinated young students, it's very, very concerning, and that, in the long run, has a great impact on culture, and that has a great impact on politics. And so I feel really sad to see this kind of stuff. And that's why I find it important to see what's going on in young people's minds. Now, the bigger topic for me here is the fact that if we look at like a 50% divorce rate, no wonder the divorce rate is 50% in a nation that has young people focused on the person that they want to spend the rest of their lives with earning six or seven figures before they even agree to marriage. Clearly, our priorities in finding a spouse are off. So I, if you could trace this back, I would argue that a lot of this is we're teaching young people to look for the wrong things in a spouse. And that can come from the fact that we're not teaching men and women that they're different from a very young age. And when we treat them like they're the same, when we tell young women that they're the exact same as boys and they'll be the exact same as the men, they'll be exactly the same in terms of their careers and the things that they want in life and their ability to achieve things, even their physical strength. We can't even tell women that they're physically different from men now without being accused of terrible things. I think we actually inhibit both sexes and the success of both of those sexes, um, future families and future achievements in life because we're setting them up for failure. So if we told men and women from a young age a very clear fact that they are different in what they want, what they can provide, what their strengths and weaknesses are, especially in relationships, then perhaps they would be in a better position moving forward. So if you are a woman looking for a man and you're from a young girl age told, hey, listen, you're going to bring XYZ to the table, but you should look for a man that is strong, that has great character, that has the ability to control himself mentally and physically and emotionally, is a man who's ready to commit because guys take a little bit longer to mature, but he is also loyal, who has the ability to build and place and and you can place faith in him to build something and grow something to create a positive outcome with all of his work and all of your support in that mission. That makes a lot more sense in terms of what would create uh, a more positive outcome in marriage instead of just looking at what the guy earns. And especially, too, will he be a good father? Because you get to pick your husband, right, ladies? But you are picking the father for your children. Your, your kids don't get to pick who their father is. And that goes vice versa. So for men, you get to pick your wife, but y- your kids are going to be forced with whoever you pick. Your kids don't get to pick who their mom is. That choice is up to you. And so if you're a man and you're told, here are your strengths, here are your weaknesses, and you can fix a lot of those problems that you might have shortcomings and a woman in your life could fix that if she brings certain traits, 
Don't you think that that man would benefit, that young man who's trying to grow in certain areas in life? Same thing with a young woman. And so for a young man, you could talk to him about what traits to look for in a woman. Is she nurturing? Is she caring for other people or is she going to be selfish? Is she ready to take on the role of being the caregiver and nurturer in the family? Can she make a house a home? Can she do those things or is she going to be self-absorbed? A lot of times you have people these days and they have no idea what their primal societal roles are intended to be and then they get super confused. I can't believe it. I, I see these reels on Instagram of like stay-at-home women or women that don't work as much as their husband complaining that the husband doesn't come home and jump right into helping with the chores right away. And she feels like he's not supporting her and she's been working at home and stuck at home all day. And it's, it's like, well, what happened to that being the role that you fulfill? And then your husband's probably exhausted from a hard day work and he wants to come home and be supported and nourished. And then he'll go out back into the world and work and do his duty and then come back home and see you and want an enjoyable experience. So w when we take those things out, it creates a lot of hostility, a lot of bitterness, and a lot of frustration because we don't realize that each gender has their own shortcomings and strengths. And instead of leaning into them, we tell people to pull away from them. Now, there are some other more innocent factors that you could also consider if you're looking for your partner, right? I mean, it, do you guys have the same hobbies? Does your lifestyle match up with theirs? If you combined your weekend with theirs, would it work out? Or do you guys like the complete opposite things? I've seen a lot of like uh, opposites attract, but at the end of the day, that might be super fun, but would it last decades? That's a big question to ask. Same thing with wh where do you guys want to live in the end? What are your long-term goals? Do you want to live in a city? Does he want to live in the countryside? How are you going to do that? How are you going to create 20-year goals if he wants to end up on a ranch out in the middle of nowhere one day and you want to end up in downtown Dallas. They're big difference. I see a lot of couples break up about that kind of stuff too. Or have, I feel so bad. I live in a rural area. And so there's a lot of stories of guys where they're in the city and they've always wanted to have that cabin that they move out to eventually. And then they literally have this cabin that they get because they've achieved that lifelong goal. And then their wife will never go up to it because she's always hated it. She's never wanted it. She's mad he spent the money to buy it and she never goes up. And so he's just up there alone. And then they often sell it at a loss or whatever ends up happening. But I've heard too many of those sad stories. Now, considering all those factors might save you from some problems. But again, we're just focused on those really surface level questions like earning potential and what you're actually earning at the moment. Now, talking about earning if you're a young person trying to find a guy who's what going to earn a lot of money at that young age, you're not going to find a guy who's going to do that. But if you wanted to find somebody who's more entrepreneurial mindset focused, then yeah, you could find a guy and look at his characteristics and want to find someone. There's nothing wrong with that. Want to find someone that you can invest in and be that feminine force in his life. And it could probably lead to a good outcome where you guys work for a greater goal and, and build something together. And as he builds a business or as you build a business, whatever it may be. But it's very, very silly to act like many people in their 20s are going to be earning six figures. That's, that's crazy. And that's really out of touch when you look at the American population. So it really does show that there's a huge difference in terms of different locations and, and different classes in America and stuff of like what people really expect. But to hear young women who would probably find a partner if they just stopped telling themselves that they need to be dating a six-figure earner in their 20s, you'd probably be a lot happier. Not only that, but the more we tell guys, 
the more guys see content that shows young women in their early 20s saying they're not going to marry a man until he earns six figures or uh, 300,000 or 500,000 or a million, the more guys just literally get into this mindset of, okay, I'm going to shut off the dating mindset. I'm going to focus. And when I'm 35 and I've built my business and I'm all successful, then I'll find a woman and I'll date. But I'm just going to not even be in that mood until then because I've seen what women say about guys who aren't at the final peak level of their job yet. It's kind of unfortunate. And so while you're in that grind phase, perhaps you could find someone that also wants to support you and grind. And if we want to have the talk as a society about the fact that the feminine nature and the masculine nature can actually work together to create something and support the building of something that's really great and strong and successful like a business or a mission, then we can have that talk. But people don't want to talk about that kind of stuff. So I would say when we talk more about the culture stuff, a lot of it makes sense because it's scientific. It's it's primal. It's the uh, different hormones that are in people's bodies. It's the the more feminine nature of a woman. You can't even say that a woman is more emotionally driven and nurturing and caring anymore without being called misogynistic. But I would argue that it's really nice to acknowledge the feminine nature and encourage a woman to lean into her natural ways and then support a man with her natural strengths instead of forcing her into this life of trying to be what a man and trying to be this strong testosterone driven force that's like trying to compete with men. I think it's a complete waste. I think there is a quote of that. It's a complete waste of a woman to try and behave like a man. Um, Now, when we have all this culture stuff that's going on and all these narratives are being formulated about what to expect when you're dating, what to demand from a future potential partner and then what to get excited about in the long run. They literally say when your life, when you turn 30, your life is over. And I think that's really sad. But on top of that, they say things like, well, and we have climate apocalypse and the potential downfall of the democracy of America, which we're a constitutional republic, but I digress. They say democracy is falling. Don't have children because they're going to die in the climate apocalypse slash collapse of the country. And they try and fear monger you out of continuing your bloodline. It's really, really creepy how they do stuff like that. It's like, listen, if you are this scared that you don't even want to procreate, then go ahead. But then they take it another step and they just say, "Eh, it's more of like the kids are just a nuisance. Why would you even want to have kids? And the narrative keeps getting grosser and grosser, right? Their argument for things like abortion used to be safe, legal, rare. That some women fall under certain financial circumstances, or they are sexually assaulted, or whatever it may be, where they really should not have to bear the child. That used to be the argument. Now it's abortion on demand out of pure convenience. They just don't want a kid. They did the the baby-making action, and then they made a baby, and then they don't want a kid. And so they want to end that baby's life after the heartbeat has started. Now, what I find fascinating, and I've done a full episode about the court cases leading up to Roe v. Wade and the science of abortion, the science of pregnancy, the different hormones released, I find it very disturbing because before Roe v. Wade was decided and at the time it was decided, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't have the technology that we have now. So they didn't know all of the tiny, beautiful little details about how life is formed in the womb. Now, If you don't know those details, I see how it's easier 
and I'm not saying I agree with it, but I can see how it's easier to kind of turn the switch off in your head of like, uh, it can't be a life. It is just a clump of cells. We have no idea. Like we're just ending whatever's in there and it's probably not even formed yet. It's probably not formed yet. Don't worry about it. But now we have the technology, you know what I mean? Where it's like, but now we have ultrasounds that are very detailed. Now we know that mere weeks into it is the heartbeat and we see that they have fingernails and they smile. And then we get into more disturbing facts of like, and the baby flinches when you try and poke it with the abortion needle and put the clamps up there. The baby literally like flees from the clamps in the womb. As you hear the details, because we're more advanced in science, it becomes more disturbing. But for some reason, that doesn't change their minds. And that's where it gets a little icky. You know what I mean? So they have all these different reasons for why we shouldn't procreate or why we should be able to just end the existence of a baby in the womb out of pure convenience now. It's not just a climate apocalypse. It's not just financial reasons. It's not just that. It's just that I don't want a kid. I don't want to do stuff like that. That makes me really sad. And it's kind of dehumanizing, if you will, uh, dehumanizing to the baby that's inside of you. And when you think about it, that baby represents so much. It represents the precious, precious thing that is life. And it it's a way for them to attack so many other aspects of what it really means to do all of this. If we could do something as, as vile as kill a baby in the womb that's nine months old and one day away from delivery, then what else will we do as humans? You know, like if, if your heart doesn't get pulled, the strings of your heart to get pulled by a story like that, by the details of something like that, then where, where do you put human life on the scale of value? That's where I get really concerned. So you have this dehumanization. You have the decline of our culture where they're attacking dating and the formation of a family, the formation of a couple, right? They attack religion, of course. They attack the concept and the science of creating a human being. But I see at a deeper level that when they do all of these different things, it's like a multi-level attack on the individual, on the family, on the ties that we have to each other that are stronger and more important and deeper than a, a political movement, a political philosophy. And we've seen throughout history that when a communist regime or when a leftist regime gets power, or really any dictatorship, when you see evil people rise up, they have to divide families. I've interviewed somebody from communist China where what they would do when the communists wanted to attack a family, if they were like opposition leaders or if they committed wrong think, right? They would just send the husband to go work on one side of the country and then the wife to go work on the other side of the country. And bye-bye. That's, that's that. And they would make their lives miserable. They would split them up. And it was as simple as that, as they wanted to break familial ties. Same thing with what's happening now between us and our children and our lineage. The next step of that, though, is, is there's obviously going to be kids that are born. You can't stop all the children from being born. But it's just this new uh, level, and it's the indoctrination of kids. That's something we see in the rise of every regime, but we see it more so now in America. And I find it fascinating. The left doesn't want to procreate. They don't even want their own kids. They're aborting their own children. I don't know how you could possibly do something like that. I feel like it's one thing to argue for abortion in a political sense, but it's another. Like when we saw the mom who's pregnant, very visibly pregnant, 
And she's saying with a poster at a, a pro-abortion rally that the thing inside of her is not a baby and that she should be able to abort it if she has a choice. It's like, ma'am, you look eight months pregnant. And if you can feel your baby moving around and kicking like that and you still say that you would kill it, you got some problems. But I say all of this because they don't want to have their own kids. And then they tell us that our children are community children. Our children are the, the, the country's children. And they tell students in class that, hey, if your parents don't agree, if your parents don't support your changing of your pronouns, your changing of your gender, we'll call you your new name. We'll use the pronouns that you want. We'll be your parents, kids. The teachers in a public school will be your parents. The principal, the teachers, the administration will hide this information. There was a story, I think that came out earlier this year, but I can't remember, but a, a girl killed herself. And it turns out that the school had been working with her to call her different pronouns, different names, like literally helped her transition, but hid it from her parents, a young girl. And so she's going through clear, serious mental problems. The school is empowering her in those mental issues and supporting her in it, calling her the new fake name, not telling the parents that she's having this mental struggle, allowing her to hide it from her parents. And then she's in such mental turmoil that she commits suicide. And then the parents find out what had been going on the whole time. So the school helped, allowed the child to continue to mentally struggle without the proper adult care and professional help that she deserved. And what do you know? Look at where it sent her. It makes me very sad. And sorry for the rant about this, you guys, but it's just really getting to me. And that's why I want to talk about the next story here. We've got America facing a diaper crisis, right? We're facing a diaper crisis, but this is the headline from Yahoo News that perfectly symbolizes where the left is at in their decrepit morality. Yahoo News has an article titled, America is facing a diaper crisis and the anti-abortion movement is making it worse. Now, before we get into the article, you guys, I just want to remind you that you have all helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today, and you've trusted Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. So on top of the special exclusively for my listeners on the Brookhaven Giza Dream Bed Sheet sets marked down as low as $29.98 with code MORGAN, Mike is now changing the game with his three-piece towel set. So it's made with USA cotton, it's extremely absorbent, and it's still providing that soft feel you look for in a towel. It comes with one bath, one hand towel, one washcloth. Typically retailing for $49.99, but for a limited time, you could get this three-piece towel set for the low price of $19.98 with promo code MORGAN. Don't miss out on these incredible offers. There's limited supply, so be sure to order now. Call 1-800-738-8374, use promo code MORGAN, or go to MyPillow.com. Click the radio listener square and use promo code MORGAN. Thanks, guys. So you guys, I'm not going to read you the full article, but basically the article talks about the details of the shortage for baby supplies and then explains that the problem is that the anti-abortion movement has been so successful lately removing families from being able to make the choice to abort their baby. So then they're stuck with the baby and now the supply versus the demand is off balance. And so we have a, a low supply and a high demand because those darn babies are living and demanding to use basic life materials. Those darn babies at it again, just, out there living. But what can I say? I really do think it is the raising of young children, the educating of young children, 
the turning of those children into citizens that vote and then they're participating in society, the culture that they are perpetuating, it all leads to the politics of today and the politics of tomorrow. And let's just say it's not looking very good. Now, you guys, speaking of weird culture, we have a culture of identity politics, of divisive identity politics, I should say, and the ability to now change your identity whenever you don't feel like identifying as the thing that you actually are. We've seen a lot of crazy stories. I mean, I, I've on my Facebook page, I always react to those like new pronouns. So I've done like the devil pronouns. There's Satan pronouns, demon pronouns. There's frog pronouns, paint pronouns, P-A-I-N-T, paint pronouns. And then of course the classic they, them. So if you're a single person, you can now choose to use they, them as your single person uh, pronouns because you might identify as multiple people at the same time, I guess. Um, It doesn't make any sense, but as a society, we have decided to endorse and support this behavior, so it leads to crazy things. What's one thing? Remember when the guy from England decided, a white English boy decided that he was now transracial and got surgery to slant his eyes because he's now Korean in his heart. So he got surgery to slant his eyes to look more Asian because he now identifies as a different race. It's just a beautiful thing when you look at it. Um, Okay, but we've got this really sad story. If you guys remember this, um, the Waukesha massacre suspect, he's the guy who plowed his vehicle into a Christmas parade of spectators on the sides of the, the parade on the street, literally slammed his vehicle into them, killed a bunch of people. It's very, very sad. And now he's playing woke, crazy games in court because, first of all, he's defending himself. He's making a mockery of it, as Breitbart says, and he is refusing to identify as himself. I don't even know how to explain this. Either way, Daryl Brooks is the man who is accused of killing six people and injuring dozens more after driving his SUV into a Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin last year, and he is now making a mockery of his trial with disruptive behavior. This is from Breitbart.com, and it's by Jordan Dixon Hamilton. It says he's facing 76 charges, including six counts of first-degree intentional homicide. Wow. Each of which carries a mandatory life sentence. So here's the kicker, you guys. I'm going to play you a little video. This video is going to be a witness explaining what he saw on the day of the incident. And then you're going to hear Daryl Brooks deny that he's Daryl Brooks. I heard a horn beeping and then a Ford Escape came through the um, parade route. And you drove past me and wouldn't stop. And you continued driving into the parade route. Who is you? Uh, Daryl Brooks, the defendant, seated at the table. Um, let the record reflect that I do not identify by that name, nor do I know anybody by that name. What? You can just refuse to identify as yourself in court now when you're being charged with murder? You run your vehicle into dozens of people, hurt dozens, kill many, and then say, that wasn't me because I don't identify as that name anymore. To the witness in your court hearing. So this is what I would say happens when woke politics and this nasty, nasty denial of reality invades every aspect of our lives, not just the weird political games, but every aspect of our lives. Now, the left has created a monster, and I think they're aware of that. 
But once you create an indoctrinated population in such a way, there's really no going back from it. I've got some stories that'll really show you how bad this has gotten. But this is just one example of how wild it is. Now, first of all, what happened to seeking justice and having respect for the victims? I have seen very little attention to this case and very little interest in seeking justice for the people in this because the guy literally was racially motivated, apparently, and went specifically to a Christian holiday event, a Christmas parade, to mow down these people. And you can look up and find his last political post before he went and did this kind of stuff. And let's just say it doesn't fit the mainstream media's political narrative against the conservative Christian right. Now, it's unfortunate that this story gets such little coverage, and it's all because of the demographics. We know this. But what bothers me is that this is the justice system. And somewhere, somehow, woke politics has to stop. But like I said to you guys in the last episode— This is why we're seeing the conflict right now between woke politics and radical leftism and the actual institution of justice in this country. We saw judges announcing, oh, I think 12 judges now have announced across the country that they are not hiring woke law students that are being trained up and indoctrinated to bring a certain lens or political angle into the justice system. Right. And so the judges said we're not hiring students from Yale Law School anymore because it looks like Yale is not teaching them to bring a fair and justice focused eye. Instead, they're bringing a bias into the courtroom and we can't have that in our offices. That's not American. That's not safe. We're not going to hire these people anymore. So I'm glad to see the conflict, but it's a little too late if we're allowing people like Daryl Brooks to play these games in court. This needs to be shut down immediately. I don't know what games he's playing, but it's disgusting and nobody's covering it or basically very, very few people are covering it. Now, what happens though when we look back at to the, the political issues with the rise of this monster that I said the left has been creating. It truly is a monster. Now, you're going to hear, it's like trunk derangement syndrome, right? I mean, they think that we are evil Nazis, but they are the ones that want to shout us down, remove us from the public square, censor us, stop us from participating, and control and nationalize elections. What they are doing is way worse than anything they even accuse us of, but most importantly, like Saul Alinsky said in Rules for Radicals, which is a communist training book, they need to accuse their opponent of what they are actually doing themselves. And that's what we see here. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to show you a little video. This is hilarious. I'm going to show you a little video of a guy from Brookings Institute, which is a leftist, a leftist think tank. And he is on MSNBC talking with Jen Psaki and a few other people about what are we going to do about these dang people living in our society with their political views. They are like dictators. They are supporting basically people that are like dictators, and how are we going to get rid of them? Now, newsflash, what he's suggesting and the way he's talking about us would make him look more like somebody who's dangerous than anything we've ever done. Right. What, as we look to 2024, because my, my former boss also talked about how one Trump term is one thing, two Trump terms is another thing. Totally different thing. Yeah. What should we, what lessons should Americans take from what has happened around the world if there are extended years of a government in place who's fighting against democracy and fighting against fundamental rights of people? What could happen with more years? Yeah, well, so you're right that it's a universal thing. And um, we can talk about Europe has its own cases where in Italy we might have the first far right prime minister mm-hmm. since Mussolini. 
and, and that person will have come to power through elections um, or the Sweden Democrats, a party with um, neo-Nazi origins. So it's not just America. It's happening all over the place because um, we're not debating economic issues. Wait, pause for the cause. Perhaps they're trying to bring up the rise of people on the right in other countries and connect us all because they are globalists. The left is all about globalization and they are all about creating this one global entity and denying American national sovereignty. And so perhaps by creating a global enemy on the right that they need to attack and defend democracy and our values against, they are able to pool assets to fight us worldwide. Perhaps that's why they're doing this. Just a little thought. Anymore, we're debating cultural issues, identity issues, issues around religion. So I think we have to accept that people who we completely disagree with are sometimes going to win. So there's what? 70- oh, my gosh. Political opposition could potentially win when you have elections. Four million Trump uh, supporters, voters, we can't just wish them away. They're not going to disappear. Mm-hmm. So then we have to find a way to live with them, even if we think they're bad people, even if we mm-hmm. think they're a threat to everything we hold dear. Because what, uh, what you guys, what did Hitler say? You know what? It would be nice if we could just wish the Jews away, but we can't. We're stuck with them. So what do we do about them now? I don't mean to compare this to Hitler, but it's like. <laughs> Who says that they want to wish away the existence of people that disagree with them politically? Who says that? And then who says, well, we can't do it, unfortunately. Wishing away, that's a nice verb to use because in reality, you can't wish people away, but you can get rid of them. So you're saying you want to get rid of us, but it wouldn't be just a click, like a little snap of the fingers, a quick snap. It would be quite a process to eliminate your political opponents. He just says, wish us away. But He says, unfortunately, we can't do that. So how are we going to live amongst these evil people? How are we going to possibly do it? You poor victims, once again, victimized. Saw their option that's in front of us. And that's a challenge because a lot of people will say, well, they're deplorable and we can't find a way to live with them. Isn't it a little bit ironic, though, that uh, you reference um, Italy, for example, uh, and Yeah, it is ironic, sir. It's ironic that he's saying we have to worry about the rise of people that remind us of dictators from the early 20th century. And you're mimicking the language, the rhetoric of dictators from the 20th century who eliminated their political opposition because they couldn't bear to have to live with them, live amongst them. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe we're not going to be able to eliminate these people? How are we going to possibly get by? We are so victimized. Now, here's the thing. Remember when we started to get shocked by the fact that they were calling our speech political violence? I feel like the next step to that is existence. Is that spicy to say? Is that bad to say? I mean, it used to just be that, you know, some of the things that we said were a little controversial and hurtful, but then it turned into if you deny trans existence, if you deny surgery for kids who think that they're the opposite gender, if you don't support cutting off a kid's uterus, a young girl's uterus, because she thinks she's a boy and she hasn't even gone through puberty yet and she already is saying that she wants it, so we're going to get her on a fast track starting it with at age 12 with gender bender chemicals and then we're going to plan for her 
uh, her hysterectomy at 16 or 17 years old when she's still a teenager, then you're a bigot and you're hateful towards trans people and that's transphobic and that leads to trans people dying. I am told that all the time, that I cause trans people to die. So my speech is now political violence and I've been told, I've literally been protested at campus speeches on college campuses, told that my speech is violent against other people in this country and should be banned. So if my speech and my presence on campus is dangerous and potentially violent, then what is the next step to this? Because we have gone many steps uh, down the rabbit hole already. What could possibly be next? And if you have been around, if you've been conscious for the last few years, you're able to see that like, wow, we, we probably never could have imagined that they would shut down the entire world over something like this, deny the facts about it, force things, mandate things, do all the things they've done over the last few years. You probably had no idea that they were going to be capable of such a thing. And then they did it. So what do you think could happen next? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that human history is disgusting. For the most part, we have been blessed to be born in such a time of peace and safety and security compared to all other humans throughout history. So for that, I'm thankful, but it means that there's so much more to protect. Now, I I guess to close off on that part, you guys, we have this struggle, kind of like what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode, where men and women were taught to be the same. We are not equipped with the responsibilities and the roles that we should be taking on from an early age. And as we get through adolescence and into adulthood. And so we have no idea of like, wow, we have some really exciting stuff that we could do if we leaned into our natural strengths and weaknesses. If we formed together, like the Bible says, where you leave your parents home and then you take up a wife and then you move forward and you build your own family and you go on and you go be an adult. I think we we hurt people when we don't give them that excitement and responsibility over those next steps in life. Same thing with how for most of history, men are builders and humans need purpose. And so everybody has their own unique purpose. But when you don't have a core purpose bigger than yourself, then you kind of lack. People say young men in America and young women in America struggle because they have everything handed to them and they don't have some big challenge. They are able to just meander throughout life, play on social media, think small things or big things. Well, I would argue this. The Republic is at stake. It's never been more at stake in a very long time than it is right now. And we have it on our shoulders to save it, to fix it, to fix the problems and to move forward. And if that's not a good enough challenge for people to get them off their butts and actually give them a purpose in life, then what the heck is going on? Do not tell me that we don't have a good challenge for this generation to take up and make their own and fix and find a solution for and build something worth lasting generations. We have something right in front of us, handed to us on a silver platter to be the the people that fix this country and turn it around for good. And are we going to do it? I don't know. We're too busy making victims of ourselves, whether we're saying that we're just such a struggle generation because everything's handed to us and now we're participation trophy people and now we have no values and we're basically just a lost generation. Or we have people saying that they're victimized just by the presence of their political opposition, and that's on the left. So either way, both sides have to get it together here. Now, fascinatingly enough, you have them saying that we're basically like the rise of another dictatorship, and we're seeing the rise of right-wing dictatorships across the world, but we have this new news about January 6th, and it's the fact that Nancy Pelosi had a camera crew following her around on January 6th, filming her whereabouts. How come we didn't know about this earlier? Why was she filming this? And another question for lovely Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, why did she deny extra security and presence of guardsmen 
at the Capitol on January 6th when she was warned that there could potentially be some issues. Why did they deny it? I have no idea. But watch this video of Nancy Pelosi saying that she would punch Trump in the face on January 6th if he came to the Capitol. What this is all about. Secret Service said they have dissuaded him from coming to Capitol Hill. They told him they don't have the resources to protect him here. So at the moment, he is not coming, but that could... I would come to him and punch him out. This is my mom. mom. I would pay to see that. I'm waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I'm going to punch him out, and I'm going to go to jail, and I'm going to be happy. Yes, that's Nancy Pelosi saying she's going to punch Trump out and go to jail, and she's going to be happy about it. All right, last video, you guys, of the day. If you needed more inspiration to show up on Election Day, I'll give it to you right now. Here's an interview asking people why they are voting for Beto O'Rourke, okay? The fact that ignorant people show up and vote on Election Day, that alone is enough to get my little booty to the polls, just to counter their votes, because it's wrong, okay? I know that we are a republic. I believe in voting and choosing our leaders, but I can't stand the fact that people don't know what they're talking about, and they show up and they vote. And I think we've got a serious problem with that. Okay, we'd all be in a better place if we all educated ourselves and then showed up for an election. And if you're not aware, just like the voter ID thing, people say, oh, it's not fair. It's really hard to get a voter ID sometimes. Guess what, people? I don't care what race you are. If you aren't smart enough to figure out how to get yourself an identification card, then I don't trust you to show up and participate in the nation's elections. Okay, you want me to say that again? Because I will. Any day of the week. Here's the video. Use this as inspiration if you are still deciding to show up or not. Really excited about Beto. You want to vote for him for governor. Talk to me about why that is. Uh, I've li- like, again, I haven't brushed up before this particular thing. I like Beto. Um, but you will be voting for him for governor for the 2022 midterms. Yes, absolutely. I'm an out-of-state student, but um, I do plan on voting for Beto. So, yeah. Yeah, same here. How come you guys want to vote for Beto? Talk to me about it. Um, Just like one thing you guys like about Beto. Are you planning on voting at all in the 2022 midterms? Yes. Who do you plan on voting for? Beto. How come? I love Beto. (laughs) I don't know anything about politics. I'm sorry. Beto, because I lean slightly democratic. What is that big policy that Beto has put forth that you really like that captured your attention? Uh, I'm not really sure. Have you looked into Beto personally at all before voting for him? Um, No, I haven't. But you will be voting for him? Yes. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.